Greetings and welcome to History Factory Plugged In. I'm Jason Dressel and season's greetings. I hope that everyone had a safe and happy Thanksgiving, as downsized as it may have been. In my family, we ultimately decided to not get together uh, with with other family, um, but this was after I had already bought a 16-pound turkey. So the leftovers for my little family of four overrunneth. And uh, with with the holidays here, a lot of people are saying, you know, I, I can't believe it's already the holiday season. But I don't know. It feels like this has been the longest year ever. If I were to draw a pie chart of what the year felt like in terms of time lapse, I think I'd have half the year is March and October, and then the rest of the year is the other half. The lead up to the election felt like it would never end. And remember how long those first few weeks of quarantine were? It's, it's been a time warp of a year. So speaking of time warp, in today's episode, we are going to talk about actions that two companies took in the face of crisis that happened a long time ago. Uh, the two companies are not related, but they, are, they both happen to be two of Massachusetts' greatest companies, both with rich histories and in very different industries. And the stories we're going to hear about took place, again, as I said, a long time ago, back in the spring and summer of 2020. But although it was, you know, ancient history, life wasn't really that different back then. Many of us were trapped in our homes and were minimizing our contact with others to slow the spread of the coronavirus. And at the same time, the country's front line of healthcare workers were rising to the challenge, dealing with their own supply shortages and the stress and uncertainty of their own well-being and taking care of their own loved ones. So today, as part of our COVID-19 Corporate Memory Project, we're going to delve into the response of New Balance and Mass Mutual. Both are case studies of the kind of history that companies have been making during this pandemic, and both stories can be found on the c19corporatememory.org website, where over the course of this year, History Factory has been archiving how our country's corporations have been responding to the pandemic and how the crisis is affecting how business operates but also how business is affecting how we manage through and ultimately overcome this challenge in our history. So first, we're going to hear from Dave Wheeler, the Chief Operating Officer of New Balance. And what you're going to hear Dave talk about is how New Balance, basically within like a week, figured out how to manufacture face masks in response to the state of Massachusetts and Massachusetts General Hospitals ask for help to get more masks out to the front line. So let's jump into my conversation with Dave. Dave, uh, welcome to History Factory Plugged In. Thanks so much for, for joining me. Good morning, Jason. Pleasure to be here. So uh, so we'll, we'll jump right into it, Dave. And um, obviously, New Balance was, was one of the first apparel companies to very quickly uh, pivot in the early days of the pandemic and to begin manufacturing masks. Um, and so I, I guess I'm just first curious in terms of, you know, how did the company recognize that this was a gap that it could fill? And, you know, what was sort of the process of, of making that that decision to to kind of go all in and, and quickly, obviously, make the adjustments that you needed uh, to make in order to to start manufacturing masks. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're headquartered here in Boston, of course, and uh, Boston's a, a a real center of world class um, healthcare, of course, and um, and Mass General being one of the leading institutions 
um, has a great relationship with New Balance. And um, you know, the head of New, uh, New Balance, the head of Mass General uh, connected in real time as the pandemic began to um, kind of raise up to a significant level back in mid-March. Um, a quick phone call is all it took to say, hey, we need some PPE. If you can come to the table and help us New Balance, knowing that we're one of the few um, in fact, the only, if, if you isolate it to footwear, um, made in USA companies uh, with five factories right here in New England. That's right. um, so, you know, Mass General certainly knew we had the capability if we could convert our, our factory, our manufacturing capabilities into PP of some, some sort. And, and so as the head of supply chain at that point in time, I got the call from the owner of New Balance to say, what can we do? And um, we put our heads together and pretty short order uh, came up with a solution. And how, how, how quickly did that happen from that call that you had to actually um, getting masks out the door? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting in a crisis how quickly you, you, you can act um, it right. isn't in normal times. Uh, the, the call that I received was on a Thursday. Uh, by Friday, we I had a small team gathered in Lawrence, uh, and we put our heads together over the weekend, came up with a prototype, working with Mass General, the experts at MIT, North Carolina State, and a number of others. And by Monday, we had working prototypes. By Friday, we were in full production, right? So within a week, essentially, uh, we had converted our factory over to, to make uh, some really, um, I think, innovative masks. And what about what about the masks are innovative? Yes. Other, other than that, they were created in a week, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, just that part of it, the 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 speed certainly was innovative. Um, I think we clearly leveraged our capabilities um, in a, in a number of different ways. One, um, we have some really great local suppliers, being domestic, um, uh, being. Uh, domestic factory. Uh, we need some of the best suppliers around. And so we, we called and they answered our call, uh, which was tremendous. They wanted to contribute just like we did to the pandemic uh, and really protect our healthcare workers. So our supply base stepped up in, in a really short order with some great raw materials. Um, and then as far as the product design itself, clearly if we wanted to be quick and responsive, it had to match our manufacturing equipment capabilities as well as the skill set that our employees have. Um, mm -hmm. And so we designed a mask that leveraged all of that, our local raw materials, the equipment capabilities, and our uh, skill set of our employees. And um, so if you look at the original mask, it includes curly laces, which are clearly you know, footwear oriented. Um, it, it, it includes a five-layer construction that are made of materials, many of which are used in our footwear that you would see out there for sale. Um, and then it's, it's actually put together with a no-so capability. Um, mm -hmm. So that black rim uh, and then the crisscross is a no-so capability that we actually use in many of our products made domestically. Um, mm -hmm. and, and on top of that, we again, we're able to leverage some of the, some of the 
world's experts at MIT to understand filtration capability. We did fit testing live um, throughout that one week initial period, right down at Mass General, uh, Brigham and MIT. The nice part about having a factory that right there in Lawrence is it's a half hour trip right down the highway into the center of Boston. And we did that often, you know, many times throughout that week, a couple of times a day with iterative prototypes, making adjustments on the fly. And, it, you know, it really proved to us that we could do it. We can yeah. do it here. We could also take that learning back to the normal type of product that we produce. So all of those yeah joined together, I think were pretty innovative for us. Yeah. And um, so did, has the product evolved since that first week of production? Ha, did you go on to make process and, and product improvements uh, after getting that initial um, initial quantity produced? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Face masks um, come with a lot of personal opinions as far as, you know, who likes what type of um, head straps, ear straps, the fit. Um, and so landing on one perfect mask is, is really challenging. But throughout the initial production of version one, we call it V1. Um, that's the iconic mask that, that we put out on Instagram, had over one and a half million likes and nine billion impressions, only because we were doing the right thing. We pivoted from footwear to making masks to really help out the healthcare workers. If you look at that version, um, the feedback that we had was in some categories, we love it. It fits perfectly. We love the behind the head strap. Um, in other categories, it was, we would like to take it off quicker. So we'd like over the ear strap. So we made that modification because we heard that a little bit louder than than the other that liked it behind the head. So that was one modification. The other modification was we'd like a slightly better fit. Um, so we actually changed the construction um, of, the, of the fit and uh, improved that. So we did two things. That was called V2. It was still a five layer construction. Then we went on to a V3, which was the same design as V2, except we reduced the layers down to three rather than five. Um, so we're, that's where we are right now, V3. Um, and we, we ended our actual innovation within masks uh, because the footwear demand really, really rebounded quickly. In the latter part of May, early June, so we need to get back to our core business by that yeah. time. By that people, time are, people are taking a lot of walks around the neighborhood these days and need shoes. Exactly, right. Right. Yeah. A lot of need for footwear. And, and I think there is this flight to quality brands that people know New Balance is one of those. Uh, and so we're, we're challenged to keep up with the demand, which is a, a good challenge to have no question about it. Um, and, and on top of that, right around that May, June timeframe, you probably real also saw it. There was an influx of a lot of folks producing masks, general face masks. And so the, the dire need that existed in March had kind of faded away at that point. And so as we looked at what could we do that would be best to making footwear. Um, and mm -hmm. so we pivoted back to footwear um, in the June timeframe. 
Yeah. And how, how did, how did the associates respond to the challenge? I mean, obviously everyone, you know, pulled together and, and got it done, but um, you know, was there past experiences that the team has gone through that they were able to draw upon, um, uh, you know, and, you know, was there a sense of pride by the organization in terms of, you know, the, the response? Um, what was it like from a cultural standpoint? Yeah, I mean, you know, the one thing I can say is the culture is super strong at New Balance, and we have long-term associates is what we call our employees. Um, but I would say the pride was the strongest part of it. Um, the pride and just wanting to get in to help for a greater cause, uh, to have, mm -hmm. you know, to really support that purpose. And as we walked through, we had identified, as I said, we had certain skills that we needed to produce this mask as we created a list of the key associates that we would like to come in and take on those uh, stations. As we made those calls, every single one of them couldn't wait to get back into the factory, which was really inspirational. You know, people just bonded together, wanted to get in. Those that we hadn't called actually wanted to get in. Um, and so there was no shortage of pride and mo motivation, that's for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned this before, Dave, but in terms of some of the learnings, you know, have there been some specific um, best practices or processes that you all learned from that experience that you're now applying going forward with respect to whether it be your manufacturing process or, or supply chain? Have, has there been any um, sort of adjustments in how you operate in your core business? I think we proved to ourselves that we can make decisions faster. Yeah. You now we, we are a company of, um, you know, taking a lot of input, gaining consensus, trying to move it along in the, you know, with everybody's input. And um, in this case, we had a small team. We made decisions daily. We were just moving quickly. Um, in fact, in some cases hourly. Um, and, and so we do have a specific effort right now where we captured some of those learnings to say, we, we did this, let's do it in the mainstream of our business right now going forward. And, and that's, being well received, I think. Yeah. Any any advice or lessons learned you might share uh, with peers, uh, particularly if, uh, God forbid, we have uh, more spikes and and have to <laughs> pivot and, and produce other kinds of products or more masks quickly. Yeah, I think um, you know one of our greatest challenges was trying to na navigate through the regulations of which we weren't used to dealing with FDA, EPA, in particular the FDA, because anything put on uh, someone's body um, needs um, that kind of uh, regulation and approval. And mm -hmm. um, understanding those for us was really important. So we called on experts. And so, I mean, my, my feedback is don't go it alone because if you're not in the industry, it's not a simple task. Um, you know, those that are in the in industry, they have teams that are focused on rules, regulations. Um, we just weren't in that position. So we were fortunate to have good relationships um, that we could, um, you know, bring to the table. And those that we didn't have, we built up. Uh, you know, Mass the Massachusetts Emergency Response Team was put together by Governor Baker. 
with some real experts, and we really appreciated their capabilities. Um, when we didn't know which path to go down, you know, they were able to help us uh, kind of look ahead, um, do some research, give us feedback, and um, some local testing capabilities, as you can imagine. Um, once we assembled a mask, it had to go through testing for different approvals. Um, and so we did some of that local um, right here at University of Lowell, uh, uh, University of Massachusetts here in Lowell, um, and, uh, and other capabilities. So call on experts. If you don't know who to call on, you know, reach out and, um, and find out who you need. But don't, don't do it alone would be my message on this one. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it's certainly been a weird year, uh, I, I guess. It sure if we, has. If we'd gone back to the beginning of 2020 and um, you had learned that uh, the 2019-2020 basketball season in which obviously New Balance was, you know, bringing, uh, was back in the basketball market. If you knew that the 2019-2020 season was still going on in October, right. <laughs> that probably would have been an indication that something weird happened along the way. <laughs> Much less you all were in the mask business by the end of Q1. <laughs> I don't think any anyone predicted this year, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again for your time, Dave, and uh, stay, stay safe. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Jason. You too. Take care. Thanks to Dave for sharing how New Balance responded. And it really is amazing when you hear stories about what organizations are able to do when they are singularly focused on a mission. And similarly, in contrast to the manufacturing prowess that New Balance showed, we're now going to hear a similar performance of administrative prowess. We're going to hear from Jennifer Halloran, the head of marketing and brand at Mass Mutual. And Jennifer is going to share how Mass Mutual launched a product offering free life insurance for frontline healthcare workers. Beginning this spring and summer, Mass Mutual's Health Bridge offers free, no strings attached life insurance of up to $25,000 for healthcare and emergency medical service providers. And those providers include both employees and even some volunteers. So let's listen in on my conversation with Jennifer Halloran, Mass Mutual Financial Group's head of marketing and brand. Jennifer, thank you for joining us on History Factory Plugged In. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here today. Well, uh, well, first, um, congratulations to you and the team for, for launching a, a wonderful uh, program for, uh, for frontline health workers. And I, I guess the, the, the first question I'll ask is just, how, how did the idea and, and decision come about for you all to create this new program? Oh, wow. It was... Um... It was really fascinating. I have to say this, this was really an idea that came out of our ELT. And I think we built it over a couple of weekends, um, probably the fastest launch that we've ever done um, in our history of, of product development. The, the inspiration for it really came out of our LifeBridge product, which is a national program that we already have that exists through our community responsibility efforts. Um, LifeBridge is a program and it's really unique. It's the only one in the US that actually provides life insurance. Um, for that's free and was designed to um, help children in low-income families to cover education expenses um, as they are the beneficiary for the policies. Um, so we started with this idea here very simply, um, how can we help those of us around us, given that we're in the business of protecting people 
Uh, we were all we were sitting here in the Northeast um, watching the pandemic spread at record rates. I think, um, you know, the geographically we were sort of in in the heartbed of it. And we really felt that it was important for us as a company to try to take some action and help um, outside of messaging and marketing, but real action that we think would give us the opportunity to leverage um, our core business and our brand. Um, it was really a timely opportunity for us because earlier this year, our enterprise technology teams um, in a very um, progressive digital innovation roadmap had worked really hard at just completing the migration of our LifeBridge program um, onto the digital platform. So it, it allowed us the ability to accept direct applications um, in a very D2C format, allow for scale. So now we realize we have this product opportunity, scale, and the ability to distribute it quickly and safely in a direct 24 seven environment. Um, so what we did at that point was focus on the work modify the underwriting requirements to align with a COVID frontline worker and um, start the state filing to get the product approved. Um, and I think, you know, really with, with, um, with a lot of efforts that we faced early in uh, marketing with COVID outbreaks, uh, timing was critical. We knew that we really wanted to move to action to support workers. And if we didn't get in quickly, it would be a real opportunity missed. So we started with state insurance regulators. We started where the LifeBridge product was domiciled in Connecticut. Um, mm -hmm. And then we really focused on the communities and the opportunities where we saw our employees and um, personal people around us, um, high demand for hospital beds, high strain on frontline workers. And um, we, we worked with our local um, states and then just started to roll it out from there. And wait, wait, and wait remind me when it went to market, when Yeah, got we it went, out. Yeah, it was pretty quick. Um, we went into market with it. Um, it was really the, uh, by mid-June that we got it launched in 50 states, wow. we went into market with it probably late April, early May, and then went wow. through state filing to 50 other states. Yeah, so uh, it was definitely rapid development, and we were building it um, as we were driving, the, as, as we were flying the plane for sure. I think yeah. uh, really great opportunities and some great ways to collaborate as we were building it, but um, just really worth it. You know, again, um, never intended to be a product revenue driver, but a way for us to get back to the community was something we knew we already had that we could easily modify. Yeah, and you, you mentioned obviously that it was, it was the Health Bridge was, was kind of built on the, the concept of, of Life Bridge. Um, Mass Mutual, of course, you know, has this really rich, uh, long uh, history. Was there any other historic precedent uh, in terms of the company offering benefits like this in, in times of crises? No, I mean, I think we've always been very, um, you know, we have a, a huge history rooted in um, what we feel we're very proud of as a mutual company. Um, we've never missed a dividend and we just announced that last week too. Um, we've always paid off every one of the policies. Our CEO talks about our oldest policyholders still being out there at 90 some years old. And we've gone through a lot of different changes with a lot of our customers. Um, I think LifeBridge was the first program where we, decided to really put something with a, um, a free premium benefit around it. Um, and to date, we've issued over $700 million in free coverage through that program. Um, but I think in the history, in, in what we've always been is very reactionary um, to certain conditions and a precedent to always take care of our mutually owned um, 
you know, the, the customers that own the products. Um, so there were certainly a lot of actions that we took for COVID relief the way we've done in, in previous situations um, regarding relief of premium payments, um, opportunities to um, cover lapse policy conditions, and even with our own employees, always really finding a way to make sure that we can help them balance. Um, we, we extended a lot of personal time off um, at no charge to manage COVID stress and, and, and new work from home circumstances. So I think, you know, we've always really prided ourselves in being able to be adaptable to our customers and to our employees. Um, and it's been a learning experience for us, for sure, um, to figure out how we can modify this platform of opportunities to protect um, the products that we have when people run into financial crises or into circumstances like we're having right now with, with this model. And I think that's what we've been working on. Yeah, and, and to that point, I was curious to understand, you know, from your perspective, how the HealthBridge program is aligned with your strategy for the brand. And and I would assume it was, it was uh, kind of rooted in what might have driven you all originally to have created uh, the LifeBridge program. Yeah, HealthBridge really hits at the heart of our purpose um, to help people um, and to protect the ones they love. And I think, as, a, as I mentioned, we operate as a mutual company. So um, it, it's a hard concept for some people to really understand. But if you own um, a policy, you're a mutual owner of the company. Um, it started back, you know, uh, over 170 some years ago when we founded the company with seven men throwing money in a hat in Springfield saying, let's just pool our money and take care of each other when we need to. So I think really encouraging the Live Mutual brand platform, it reminds us to take care of one another. Um, and we thrive when our customers and our communities do well around us. So from a strategy perspective, we also have a strong focus on brand purpose. And we're always looking for that opportunity to really infuse the cause and core values in an appropriate manner. Um, and especially one where we could actually impact and drive action. Um, it's really easy to talk about how you care about others, um, but consumers we know, and especially with a lot of the data that we've seen in this recent COVID environment are challenging brands to take action and make an impact and change. And I think HealthBridge really allowed us to focus on a certain segment, um, the frontline COVID healthcare workers, and support them with something that's core to what we do. Take a product that we know we can help, um, help them with something they're concerned about by putting their lives at risk with, a, with this sort of pandemic that they don't know how to manage or control yet, and then show our appreciation by funding a program with $3 billion to cover the cost and make that protection free for them. And that's really what we do as a brand. That's what we do as a cause to help others. Um, and it's a direct way that we could really use the brand purpose in our products to, to support that inspiration, to live mutual and take care of others in the brand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point you, you make with respect to obviously uh, everyone's looking for, for actions, not words right now. Yeah. And uh, certainly provide, providing uh, free premium uh, life insurance to, <laughs> to frontline workers is, is, a, is a very meaningful way uh, to do that. Um, what, what's been the response and results thus far of, of the program? Yeah, you know, response was really positive and we were very excited about it. Um, the, the program was featured in Forbes and, and um, some of the other business news outlets. outlets. Um, but I think we, we also um, were a bit surprised in the early phases with a few detractors around the program and some challenges that we didn't expect. Um, you know, some of, some of the, um, 
some people were very cautious of brands. I think this was a common theme that we saw. A lot of brands went into market in the COVID environment and um, consumers were cautious about their ulterior product sales goals and are they being manipulative and uh, you know promises of giving giving away and donating things in circumstances that may not be fulfilling. So I think there was sort of that, we went in with this, that same environment that a lot of other brands had around skepticism for getting super involved in a, in a very sensitive pandemic moment. Um, we also found out that when we launched it, um, the rollout was a bit restricting to accumulate state approvals at the rate that we were trying to. So we got some feedback that they felt that the initial rollout was very limited in scope until we could really accumulate a more national scale of approvals. Um, and then I think realistically, we also were, um, you know, in a positive way, pushed almost by the by the consumers for what we defined um, frontline workers. You know, we had to write eligibility and underwriting requirements into a modeling tool um, to accept the criteria for the coverage. And um, we had a lot of really good feedback around that. Um, we listened, we pushed at state approvals, we modified the product. Um, and then, you know, a little bit after a month later, we hit 50 states, but um, we, we also had to find a way to widen the range of the criteria for eligible frontline personnel as we learned about them, as we heard from them, you know, why, why can't, why was I declined for this, you know, and, and helping us really modify and grow. Um, and we've extended it to lab technicians, cafeteria, cafeteria, security workers and hospitals and healthcare facilities. Sure. You know, they really, I think the audience really helped us um, push the product definition of it and the development of it, um, which I think was really important for us at the time too. Um, and then that's, you know, again, by mid June, Two months or so, um, the program had issued more 3,200 3, free life insurance policies. Today, we're at over 10,000 um, wow. with a face amount of over 190 million in coverage. So uh, still rolling and, and very excited about it. And is that, I'm just curious, is that kind of iteration of a product uh, common in, in, in the market? Um, I, I think traditionally when you... Um, I wouldn't say it is exactly. I think we had two advantages here. One is that we um, owned the digital platform and we yeah. have um, a really powerful data science team that was creating um, a fluidless underwriting type of tool that is based on um, a lot of predictive modeling and analytics, which help us to be able to do the acceptance quickly and online within 20 minutes, um, you have coverage. Um, so I think there was a very progressive element of us working off of the Haven Life chassis and the technology and data science and underwriting um, technologies that we've built and capabilities. So I think that without that, we couldn't have really been able to go back in and revisit from an underwriting perspective and a legal perspective and a regulatory perspective, how to modify a product like that. Um, I think the other advantage to us, quite frankly, is the product was never designed as a revenue tool. Mm -hmm. um, and I think usually when you go into build products and you go into make modifications to products, it's due to, and I'll, I'll speak heavily about, you know, sort of sounding like life insurance here more, but it's due to your interest rate environment. It's due to your margins. It's due to your selling conditions. It's due to pricing. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors in there that you go sure. into modify products around profitability. And this was never intended for profitability or for revenue. So I think that gave us a unique ability to modify um, in what I say, do the right thing, um, where we had a lot more flexibility because the intent behind it was never um, to meet some of the similar restrictions um, from revenue driving product tools. Hmm. 
interesting. Well, it, it certainly sounds like you, you've got a if if not for revenue, it certainly sounds like you now have a great platform for philanthropic uh, philanthropic policies moving <laughs> forward for for a broad range of constituencies. Um, so I guess that's that's good for the brand, if not necessarily for for the bottom line. Um, but it's it's a it's a really um, it's a really um, compelling uh, thing that Mass Mutual has done. I first heard about the product actually um, in an interview uh, that uh, Alan Murray from Fortune yeah. did with your CEO, which I think it might have been back in in August or something. Yeah. And what struck me about it when I read about it, I was like, oh, this is you know exactly the kinds of stories that we're collecting as part of our COVID nineteen corporate memory project of what corporate America is doing to respond to the pandemic. But one of the things that struck me about the uh, about the, the article or the little segment I read was was uh, that your CEO commented that it can be really hard to give away free insurance, um, and uh, and I guess you alluded to you know some of those challenges in, in launching the product. Um, but what what can people do to have access to this benefit or spread awareness to it if they have a, a friend or family member uh, that may be eligible for it? Yeah, it, you know, I appreciate you asking that because um, we're we're passionate about it. Of course, I think um, really tackling the two marketing and sort of advertising challenges that we didn't anticipate um, would be helpful to us. First of all, I think when we um, pulled together launch plans and media plans, um, and and really found the data and the demographics of our frontline healthcare workers, um, we found out all of a sudden that although we knew where they all lived and we could talk look at what their consumption habits were and how they engaged with traditional marketing channels, um, they were really living in such an unusual world that they were outside of all of that for us. It became really hard for us to find a way to reach them um, because what we found was, um, you know, this height of time where frontline workers are, are working, they're in conditions where they're worried about their health, they're worried about their jobs, they're working 12 to 14 hours a day unsure of their own safety. Um, we were we were doing interviews with nurses in the Boston area and, and a lot of other um, workers, and they, they just basically said they leave the hospital exhausted. They don't listen or watch the news. They don't read the paper. They didn't want to hear about COVID. Um, so all of these traditional outlets that we were, we were thinking through um, to, to reach them was, was really hard for us. And so word of mouth became critical to spread the program. Um, we shifted to focusing on professional and peer networks. We focused on our personal relationships with large hospitals, whether they were clients of ours that we supported through our workplace and retirement business or real strong connections that our field advisors had in the healthcare and the communities. Um, so word of mouth um, really became important. And I think that's the value and the advantage of, of the conversation we're having today. That's my first, you know, um, way that I think a lot of people can help. We shifted our media plans to new opportunities, um, running digital and hospital elevator screens and really trying to find a way. But every time we would find somebody, we'd get a story that said, my husband was driving an ambulance and he heard about this and he's going to send it to so many other friends. And so I think that real word of mouth is important. Um, the second challenge, again, was once we were able to reach the audience, as, as um, our Roger Crandall our said, our CEO, we, we found that common barrier that people didn't believe it was actually free. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this element of tr- getting co- consumers to trust that the program is in fact free um, is, is something we deployed a heavy influencer and digital program. We've been working with a lot of content opportunities to describe the details of why you would even need this type of life insurance um, and how you can get it. And then really sharing the stories of those who received the instant coverage and felt the security and appreciation to know they could go home at night and, and know that they were covered if anything happened to them. So um, you know, the challenges were indicative to both traditional marketing and product marketing. Um, and I see it a lot and I've watched it as we've tried to launch the Life Pitch program because I manage all the community responsibility and foundation programs too. And I think it's really about spreading the word, um, you know, encouraging people to visit massmutual.com, you know, with the hashtag HealthBridge. Um, the application is right there online. Um, it's instant. You'll find out very quickly. There's a lot of service numbers and opportunities to get engaged. If you hear about it, if you see it, you know, really spread it and share it because I think that's where um, we found the best way that the audience spreads within itself as much as possible as well. Yeah. Well, well, to your point, I mean, you know, <laughs> these these workers are, are, are so tired and exhausted that, you know, I, I can't imagine also just having the time that they want to have to go through a lot of sort of bureaucratic process right. to sign up for life insurance. And I went to the page myself and I was amazed at just how simple and streamlined it it is for, for someone who's looking to receive the benefit. So, yeah, um, so a really, a really cool program. Yeah, it's, it's totally contact-free. You don't need a visit from anybody for any type of tests or anything. So um, it's a great thing for us. That was really the premise, again, to the first question you asked, like, how did we come up with this idea? We knew we had a way that we could actually deliver it to people in this, um, in this really restrictive environment um, and just give them a chance to feel protected. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, for sharing more about the program. And in our own small, humble way, we'll we'll try to get the word out for Mass Mutual. <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> Jason. It's a great for, story. Thank you for thinking of us and for highlighting all of the great work that's happened this year. Um, you, it's just a great a great group of information that you're collecting. So we appreciate that we're part of it. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thanks again to Jennifer, and it really is interesting, the parallels of these two stories. Two iconic Massachusetts companies, both of which were able to apply their existing resources, and in the case of New Balance, that was existing equipment at their factory in Lawrence and manufacturing know-how, and for Mass Mutual, that was experience and expertise in risk management and actual aerialism, if that's a word, and navigating regulatory requirements to get a financial product into market. So if you're listening to this and it reminds you of other stories of how businesses are responding to the pandemic, feel free to share them at c19corporatememory.org. And if you know a healthcare worker and want to give them the opportunity to get a free life insurance policies, tell them to go to massmutual.com slash healthbridge. All right, that's our episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a special year-end episode that will feature the infamous Sarah Egan from History Factory's Sarah's Friday Email. In the meantime, be well, and we'll talk soon.